Northridge family, this weekend's going to be a real treat. We, we have a guest teacher who speaks to over 700,000 people in a year. He is really sought after as a communicator, and he's here speaking at Unforgettable here as a part of our Northridge series because, well, he's a friend of ours. He's the Senior Vice President of Spiritual Development at Liberty University. He leads out the single largest weekly gathering of young people in anywhere in the world, and he does it in a way that that really wakes them up to Jesus. And what I really love about this guy is he was born in Iran. He was born as a child of Islam and left when he was nine years old as part of the Iranian Revolution. And when he was 18, he, he embraced Jesus as his Lord and Savior. I'm really excited about the impact he's going to have in my life this weekend and yours. Would you give a great, great welcome to my friend, David Nasser. So good to be back at Northridge. Man, I've got to tell you, I love your church. It's such a world-changing church, not just changing and impacting Detroit with all of its different campuses and the online, but honestly, the entire world. Uh, and I just meet students from Northridge all the time at Liberty University, and, and, and they're some of the most impressive students that we have on campus. And uh, I know Pastor Brad just mentioned that we get to host at Liberty the largest weekly gathering of young adults in the world. And we have leaders from all walks. We have 88 combos a year. And so we have uh, leaders from all walks that come our way. Uh, in the last few years, we've had everything from President Trump to Bernie Sanders to Steph Curry to Jeff Gordon to a Backstreet Boy, all right, to the, the guy that wrote Don't Stop Believing, who's in Journey, to Hillsong United. I mean, I'm just telling you all that to say, uh, your pastor came last semester and opened God's word for us and preached, and he was a highlight, and our students loved him, and several kept asking, hey, can he stay and you go, you know, and I was kind of offended, but I love this church so much, I thought, if I'm ever going to trade one place, it'd be this place, but it's so good to be with you. It's always great to come in the summer and see the audacious staging that the creative team has put together. I mean, honestly, to baptize people in coconut water is amazing. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out, and uh, we're going to study uh, what I like to call a flyby passage together this morning. Uh, how many of you know the Lord's Prayer by heart? You guys know it by heart in all of our campuses or whether you're watching online. So many of us know that, but this place that we're going to study today is actually one of those places in the shadowlands of a massive place in scripture. And so uh, this is one of those uh, forgotten about places in scripture where people so many times fast forward very quickly um, to get to the good stuff and then miss something that can have a lot of handles and takeaways for us, uh, like this particular place in Matthew 6, 5 through 7. I think there's three components, three essential takeaways and again, these passages that tee up the Lord's Prayer for us that apply more than just to prayer. This is certainly about prayer, but apply to all the different ways that we practice the presence of God in spiritual disciplines. Uh, let's read it together. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, let's just stop right there. The presumption from God is that we are going to be about prayer. It's not if you pray, but what? When. When. 
God presumes that we're going to tune our frequency, right, to the heartbeat of God and have dependent conversation with him. It's not if, but when. Charles Spurgeon says that prayer is the air in our spiritual lungs. And so when you woke up this morning, it wasn't if you're going to breathe, it's what? When you breathe over and over again, you breathe ceaselessly and God wants us to be about the business of prayer ceaselessly. God wants us to be in a place where we see prayer as an essential non-negotiable in our walk with God. And so Jesus reminds us of that right here. And when you pray, he says, don't, don't. Let's just stop right there and say that today we're going to look at three pretty destructive do nots and not so much a constructive do. Certainly in the Lord's Prayer, he gives us a lot of what to do as a model prayer. But in these particular verses, these three places we're going to kind of camp down on today, you're going to see a lot of do not. You you ever notice how sometimes you got to get destructive so that you can get properly constructive? That's what's happening. When I was a pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, um, the levees broke in New Orleans and we sent a mission team to go help out. And at the end of the week, I asked some of our team that went, I said, how did it go? They said, man, it felt like we were doing more damage than good the whole week that we were there. We know we weren't, but that's how it felt because when they got to the ninth ward, they walked into homes that at first glance looked like they were fine. The water that had, after the levees had broken, you know, had, had kind of, you know, gone away. And so they said we could see the watermark where in the sheet rock, you know, the damage had been done. He said, and and a lot of people kind of looked at it and said, well, why don't you just put a coat of paint and just keep moving and cover up the the water spot? But we knew the sheetrock had to go. We knew that we had to take the old sheetrock out because under there, there could be black mold under there. There could be a lot of things that could really harm people. And so most of the week, they said, we didn't actually put up new sheetrock. We just kept tearing down things. And so we had to be destructive so that we could be properly right? Constructive. The same is true at the dentist. Like no one likes to go to the dentist because it's not so much the stuff that they do to build up your tooth as much as the stuff that they do to prepare for it, right? So before the root canal, they got to get to the root, right? And so they get out the drill. And so I don't know what you think about when you think about the dentist. I think about the gas that makes me feel funny. And I think about the, the drill that all the gas in the world can't mask. And so no one likes a dentist, but a dentist loves you enough not just to treat the symptoms, but get to the root of the issue. Jesus is going to get pretty destructive here. He's going to tell us a lot of do not, but that's love talking. That's him actually saying, I'm going to deconstruct some of the things that you've been doing in the wrong intent or in the wrong way so that when you build it up, you'll do it in the right way. So he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now, This is about prayer. So if you're not familiar with this passage, you might think at first glance, well, these people should be praying. There's the presumption, but they're not. And that's why they're hypocrites. But that's not really the case. It's not that they're hypocrites because they're not praying. As a matter of fact, read a little bit further and you'll see. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites for they love to pray. The scripture says they love to pray. But the problem isn't that they're not praying as Christians, even though they ought to be. The problem isn't that. It's they're praying. They're not just praying. They love to pray. They're praying with fervency, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. Listen to this. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. You know what he's saying? And this is point number one. He's saying that the intent purity, 
The motive, right, really matters to me when you come to me in prayer. He's saying, even you come to pray with me, when you come to have this, this conversation with me, I want you to come and do the right thing, but I want you to do it for the right reason. You ever notice it's always wrong? It's always wrong to do the wrong thing. I know that doesn't sound very revolutionary. It's always wrong to do the wrong thing. But have you ever thought about this? There are other times as well when you're doing the right thing. You're not doing the wrong thing, but you're doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the wrong reason. And so it's wrong to do the right thing. Think about that. Like there's nothing wrong, for example, for you to be in this room and to lift your hand during a time of worship and to sway back and forth and just sing out loud, right? Louder than even people that are here. There's nothing wrong with coming in this room and joining the band and, and worshiping and, and fully engaging physically in what God's soaring in your spirit spiritually. But there's nothing wrong with being incredibly visible in your worship unless you're doing it so other people are watching you. So the question isn't, hey, do you have your hand up? The question is, why do you not? I mean, why do you have your hand up? Is it for the glory of God or is it for the attention of others to think that you're like really, really spiritual? Honestly, I can say the same on the other side. Not so much, hey, why are you worshiping? Why are you singing? But also, why are you not? Some of you are not singing because you want everyone to think that you're not the kind of showy person. And you have just about as much missed the boat as the person who's coming here to try to be the showy person. It's not about not being seen or it's not about about being seen. It's about what? Coming to God in gratitude. And so he's asking us about the intent behind everything we do, not just singing and worship and, and fasting and, and every discipline in the Christian life. He's saying, when you do what you do, why do you do what you do? I remember one time a friend of mine called me and he said, hey man, I'm, I'm driving through town today. This was a Christian artist and he said, I'm, uh, me and my bus guys are, are driving through town today and we're heading to Gatlinburg, Tennessee for a concert, but we, uh, we're going to be in Birmingham, which is where I used to live, right around lunchtime. You want to grab some lunch together? I told him, I said, bro, you ought to come to the house because uh, we, we'd been building this new house and he had seen pictures of us constructing the house. Like as one of my good friends, I'd send him a picture and, and, and we're like, hey, here it is. We broke ground. And then I showed him one time in a green room. Here's the house studded, you know, and here's the house with the roof up. And, and so I said, man, the house has been done for about a month. Why don't you come over and, uh, and, and we'll have lunch at the house instead. And, and he said, man, I don't want to do that. Like, we're like an hour away. There's 12 of us. We don't want to like just barge in at 12 people strong for lunch. And I was like, bro, I got you, man. Just come on over. We're going to grill big fat steaks. And, and he was like, well, what about your wife? I'm like, I am the man of this house. I will tell her we got 12 people coming over. And he was like, come on. I was like, yeah. And I hung up the phone and I went to my wife. I was like, uh, babe, I, uh, I want you to know we have 12 people coming to the house. And she's like, what? In an hour? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, listen we'll, we'll cater in. And so, or, or we'll just go do takeout. And so she said, okay. And so my wife left immediately to go and get the food because they were coming in like 50 minutes. And I promised her that I would clean up. And my definition of cleanup, especially at that moment, was out of sight, out of mind. And so I'm walking around the house and I'm just putting anything that's like not in a closet, out of sight, in the closet, you know. And, and I walk into the basement and when I walked into the basement, I started picking up a little bit and I opened up this closet that we had in the basement. It was actually a, a closet that is literally on the, uh, underneath the, the staircase that went to the basement. 
I don't know if you've ever seen those or if you have maybe one of those. It's a, it's a kind of a V-shaped closet, right? So you open the door in the basement and you're looking at a big closet, but it's fast declining down to nothing because it's literally the roof of roof line of the, uh, of the staircases that way. And so it, it's one of those closets where when you open it, it posturally, the only way you can walk in is to bend down. It posturally brings you to your knees. And so we thought that's a cool little spot and we turned it into a prayer closet. And so we'd ordered extra thick, like 70s style shaggy carpet and we'd put it there and we'd put a pillow at the end and a, and a prayer bench in the corner and put a Bible there and we thought we'll always walk in here and this will be our prayer closet and and I remember I was cleaning up all these different rooms but when I opened up that door I realized the month that we lived there since the day we'd moved in not one person had cracked that door open until that morning because I mean the the vacuum rug marks were like on there like it was perfectly manicured the pillow was all fluffy the Bible was closed at the end, you know, in the pl- like a little a prayer bench. And, and I looked at it and I thought, man, my friend's going to come over and he's a professional Christian. He's a worship leader. You know, my friend's going to come over and he's going to see this room and he's going to realize I don't ever go in there to pray and he's going to judge me. And so it, what I thought was I got to mess up. And so it was interesting. I, I cleaned every room except that room. I put my foot like this and I messed up the carpet and I went like this, like it had been kind of worn in, you know, and I, and I walked up to the pillow and I kicked two places where it looked like knee marks of the right you know, and I, and I went over to the Bible and it was closed, but I thought, what could I go? And I thought, Colossians feels robust and deep. So I went to Colossians and I backed up and I looked at it and I thought, now that is a good prayer closet. I can't wait for my friend to see this prayer closet. And on my way back upstairs, God was like, you beloved little idiot. I love you, but you're trying to impress somebody. And here's the sad thing. Look at me. Don't miss this. Here's the sad thing. You might just be successful. That's literally what what it says in the back end of this passage. He says, I tell you the truth. They have received the reward in full. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if what you want to do, instead of coming in communion with me, coming in conversation with me, if that's what you want, you want less than that. You want to look impressive to someone else. Here's the sad thing. You might just get what you want, but how low are you shooting? Is that the reward that you're after? And so would you rather have a temporary earthly reward or pass it forward to an eternal one? that has so much more dividends. And so God, in the beginning of this little flyby moment here, questions, right, confronts us in love about the purity of our motives, the intent that we should be about the right thing. We should be about giving to the poor. We should be about singing along. We should be about fasting. We should be about meditation. We should be about all the things that help us grow in our walk with God, but they should always be about his glory and not even partial. Like, God, you get all the attention, but can I just get, can I just get my coworkers to think I'm godly by doing it? And so our benefit, our benefit is ultimately in prayer to get with God and not to get something from the people of God. You know, you struggle with that when you have complex, weird thoughts that make you go, oh, but by the grace of God, I'm still walking around. You ever do this? Anybody ever here? Um, you ever um, be in a prayer circle with a couple of people 
And I don't know about you, but I've, I've been a Christian long enough where just about everything someone ever prays in a prayer circle, I've heard before. It's like, Father God, fill in the blank. And I'm like, that's good. Amen. I've heard that before. And, you know, and, and, and once in a blue moon, you hear something fresh and new that you hadn't heard before. That's actually like really like, ooh, that's good. You, you, ever, you, ever, like, you ever been in a prayer circle and somebody says something in the prayer circle and when they say it in the back of your mind, you're like, ooh, that is so good. The next time I'm in another prayer circle, excluding this person who just said what they said, I'm going to say that out loud so that people will think of me what I just thought of them. Anybody ever, anybody, anybody ever do something like, anybody ever, any, come on, anybody, come on, in all of our campuses, on, come on, anybody, anybody, ever, come on, anybody, really, really, ma'am? Wow, I don't really struggle with that. I'm just saying, no, I'm just kidding. I do too. I do too. And I know somebody in this room is not used to this level of transparency. And you're like, how are you qualified to be up here? I'm not. <laughs> and neither are you at the end of the day. But I'm just telling you the struggle is real because we get justification, right? The free gift of grace given to us and God saves us in position, but he's not immediately like done with us. We're growing in Christ likeness and in growing in Christ likeness, God loves us too much loves us too much to go, I'm just going to leave you where you are. He loves us just where we are, but too much to leave us that way. And as believers, he's telling you and I, why you do it is just as important as what you're doing. Does that make sense? Let's do it for the right reason. When we adopt one of the eight, 186 million orphans in the world, and they need a mom, they need a dad. By the way, if 6% of Christians in the world opened up their homes and adopted, every orphanage in the world would be out of children, right? And when we walk into that, we need to make sure that we don't walk into that so that we have an accessory on our side that everyone can see and go, oh, at Target, I saw your kid that looks so obviously adopted from you. That's a beautiful thing that we do, but let's make sure we don't make it ugly because we do it for the wrong reason. Does that make sense? And so God is always looking at our intent. God is always looking at our intent. And I don't know about you, but I'm a professional of doing good things but maybe for skewed purposes. And God loves me too much to let me just keep on keeping on. He's saying, when you do what you do, purity matters. The second one, look at this next verse, verse 6-6. Six, six. He says, and when you pray, go into your room. This is about intimacy. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret. Another version says in quiet. Another one says in intimacy will reward you. If you're taking notes, take this down. It's an easy one. I know you probably already know it. Intimacy can be best defined in this conversation as into me see, but it's a two-way thing. It's not just you and I saying, God, I want you to have intimacy as in into me see, but God, in prayer, I get intimacy with you. I get to see into you. God, it's a mirror in front of me, but it's also something that reflects the intricacies of who you are. Prayer doesn't just need to be something that's pure and intent. It's something that needs to be intensely intimate. And a lot of us don't like that idea 
Because we just have this weird idea of what intimacy is. I think a lot of us have such weird ideas of intimacy because the, the boundaries are just so weird. We don't know that's not a joke you tell at work. We don't know that's not a person that, that you're not like, 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 like you're not supposed to say that to or, or you're not supposed to walk in. We, we, we've just so blurried the line and the enemy has so clouded the, the water that a lot of times we don't even know what intimacy lines look like, what boundaries look like. And that carries right into our prayer walk. And that carries right into our relationship with God. And honestly, a lot of people just don't want intimacy in their prayer life because they think in intimacy, what that means is that God gets to come all up in my like little bitty businesses in these dark little shadow lands. And I, I, I want to talk to him and I want to pray for the nations and I want to pray for my neighbor who's lost. But I really don't want him getting up in my business of what I do really late at night on my iPhone. And you think even though you know better that if I don't allow intimacy in prayer, then God won't know what's really going on because I'm just ashamed of it. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? <laughs> and so who is the one being cursed and who is the one being blessed? When we let God in on something that already belongs to him and that he already knows. See, it's not about information. It's about transformation. And God's going, what level of transformation do you want? Well, then the answer to that is then what level of intimacy are you willing to walk into in your walk with God? See, I think a lot of times Christians just think that word intimacy is just a word that's taboo for Christians altogether. My wife, Jennifer, is a country girl from Alabama, you know? I married a, a blonde, white, pretty Southern girl from Alabama, and I'm from Iran. Come on, y'all. That's awesome. And anyway, thank you. You ain't building the wall and kicking me out. I'm here. All right. So I got a green card and everything. Anyway, so thanks for getting that. Anyway, so, uh, so my wife, uh, and I were married and, and we've been married 24 years, but I'm still like discovering new things, you know, 24 years in, but I got to tell you, I know all the obvious stuff. I know all the obvious stuff and I knew it a long, long time ago, but in intimacy, there are things that I continue to learn every single day. One time uh, she was, she was asleep and I, I couldn't sleep. I think I drank like too much Mountain Dew or whatever, you know, and I was laying there and I couldn't fall asleep. And, and um, I looked over at her and, and she was laying beside me in bed and, and the, uh, the, the bathroom light was shining, you know, off the corner, off her face. And I, and I just turned around like this and we were like this close to one another and I just started staring at her. And I'm just staring at my wife and I'm just thinking, man, she is so beautiful. And, 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 and I noticed like that her blonde hair, her blonde hair is amazing. It's like at first glance from afar, it's just blonde. But when you get really, really close, every strand is a different blonde. It's like God was like, let me show you the different varieties of blonde. All of them. It's amazing. So I was just staring at her blonde hair and I was like, my goodness, it's just intense. Like the, the, the variety and the, the just, it's just, and as I was looking I noticed that like, I always thought her hair starts here, but it actually like goes everywhere. She's not, she's not like super hairy or right? she's just, she's just like, everybody has like tiny little hair and I noticed them. And then I was staring at the tiny little hairs. And as I was staring at the tiny little hairs, I noticed something I'd never noticed before in her, on her temple, like right here on her temple, as I was staring at her temple, like this close up. I noticed that her heartbeat can be seen on her temple. I, I, I don't know. That might not be revolutionary for some of you, but, but like you literally can see my wife. If you get right close enough and you're not allowed, but if, if you get quite close enough, 
You can see her forehead, and, her, and I was just staring at her. Her forehead, it was just beating. I could see literally her heartbeat moving. Her tempo was like, it was so cool. And I kept staring at it. And I noticed something after a few minutes of staring at it. By the way, two minutes of staring at somebody's forehead is like 35 minutes, all right? The police call it harassment. I call it love, but it's still like two minutes. I was just staring at it. And, and I noticed something after about two minutes. It, it, I, I was convinced it's, it's literally beating to like 80s music. It was like eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, and it was crazy. And I know I'm telling you all this. And you're like, oh, you know who loves that story? Whenever I tell that illustration, single people, single people are like, I want a man who's kind of crazy like that, you know, to like think that about me. I want to go. You know why? Because I'm telling you about intimacy. I'm telling you the only way you figure that out is if you get that close, right? And you get that much time in. And I'm telling you that. And, and hopefully as you're hearing this, no one's going, I cannot believe he has the audacity to get up here and tell that story. I know you might be thinking that's a goofy dude, but still, I cannot believe he's telling that story because it's not, because it's not about intimacy. It's about who the intimacy is with. I'm talking about my wife. What if I, what if I flipped that story and it was the exact same story, but it wasn't about my wife, Jennifer. What if it was about, I don't know, your pastor, Brad. What if I said, you know, when pastor Brad came to speak for us at Liberty, he stayed at my house and late at night I walked in there and if you stare, if you stare at Pastor Brad's, like right here, you see like, you see like, I don't know, Jesus culture songs. This, you guys would be like, what's wrong with you? Why? By the way, that did not happen. All right. I'm just being clear. But that didn't, why? Because one would be appropriate and the other one would be inappropriate. Why? Because it's not about intimacy, right? I think the church gets that wrong all the time, by the way, about all kinds of things, including sexual reality, right? People think God doesn't want that. Like God's like, no, 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 no. When in appropriate places, I am all for, I am all for, it's not like true love waits, period. It's like true love waits, comma. Then once you get married, God's like, come on with it. You know, God's not afraid. God's not afraid of intimacy. As a matter of fact, so much bigger than physical. Look at me. God allows you and I, gifts you and I at salvation, not just no longer separated, but Jesus is the bridge that brings us with him in, in justification, but in sanctification. And God says, get to know the intricacies of who I am. Get to know where you don't just know the obvious things from afar about me but you know the more intimate things about me. And God says in prayer, I afford you that. So why would we not want that for God? Are you kidding me? And so God says, I want the prayer to be pure and I want the prayer to be intimate. But then he also says, listen to this in verse seven, I want it to be honest, simple, raw, really from the heart. Listen to what he says in verse seven. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling. Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. You know what he's saying? He's saying, uh, this is what a theologian once said, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Martin Luther, the great theologian said, the fewer the words sometimes, the better the prayer. And that doesn't mean necessarily that I have nothing to say. It means that I have nothing to fluff up what I have to say. 
See, the, the pagans were just babbling and they were trying to impress God with their language and it's weird, right? Sometimes, just so that we don't have to make spiritual eye contact, we end up just filling the void with just Christian Jesus juke language. We just say things that sound good and we're in automatic mode when so many times God's going, the intent matters and intimacy is what I want and can you just be honest rather than like punctuating all your thoughts with the latest Christian song that you learned from the radio station, can you just come to me and just say, I'm really, really hurt right now, or I'm really, really scared right now, or this is kicking my tail this week, God, and I need you and me to get together. And here, you don't need permission because I belong to you anyway, but I want you in. Come on all in, in every facet of my life. What does it look like to get there when you walk with God? It doesn't have to be that something that's uh, long and elaborate, right? I have a friend. Uh, he uh, used to be a pastor. I mean, he's a pastor now, but he used to be a youth pastor. And back when he was a youth pastor, on Wednesday nights, he had the long gauntlet of like Wednesday night ministry, like all day at work, then Wednesday night church service, and then he'd go home late. And one night, he called me pretty late at night. He called me. I, I lived in another town. He lived in Arkansas. And um, one night, he calls me around 10 o'clock at night, and he's like, hey, man. I said, hey, bro, are you okay? He never like called me that late, usually on a Wednesday. Uh, I said, you okay? He goes, yeah, man. And he sounded loopy. He was like, hey, you know when like your leg has to bend in places like joints that it's supposed to bend? He goes, my leg's bending right now in a place it's not supposed to bend. And I sit up. I'm like, are you okay? He goes, yeah, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ambulance. And he starts to tell me what happened. He, he'd gotten out of the youth building on a Wednesday night, and he was late because he had promised his wife they could go get ice cream. And so he rushes out, and everybody else had already gone, and he was just wrapping up. Some, some ministry stuff. And so he said, I, I ran into uh, to my car. He said, and I had left this youth building that was freezing cold. Like they had the AC running like summertime style. And, um, and he said, and I, I get in the car and you know, when you go from a really like cold place to like hot, humid, hot, you know, hot, hot outside, how like if you wear glasses, your glasses can like fog up. He said, so I got in my car. He said, I knew I was late. In my mind, I had already thought as I was running to the car, I can speed because I, uh, there's no one else left in the parking lot. And so he said, I, I turned my car on. He said, and I just start getting going. He said, and as soon as I got going, my glasses got messy. He said, so I took my glasses off and I just started cleaning it with my shirt. He said, and he's, this guy's pretty blind without his glasses. He's got those like Coke bottle things ones. And so he said, I'm starting to clean my glasses. He said, and as I was putting my glasses on and looking up, he goes, realizing that I hadn't realized I was going about 40 miles an hour. He said, and as soon as I put my glasses on, I saw that in front of me was this like light pole cement thing that holds the light pole in the, these big old mega churches and Walmart parking lots, you know? And he says, I see it right in front of me and I'm going 40 miles an hour. He goes, I didn't have time to go left, didn't have time to go right. He goes, it's right in front of me. And I went, Chah! and he goes, and I just nail it. And the airbag goes off and he goes, and my leg is bending, man, in a place it's not supposed to be bending. I'm drugged out of my mind, you know? And so two things. Number one, I was like, praise the Lord, my friend's okay. Number two, I was like, he's loopy. I, I should be recording this. You know, so, so man, we just start talking on the phone. He's like, man, keep me company while they're like wrapping up on something. You know, I was like, okay. And so we started talking and he's telling me more about the thing and we're laughing. And I, and I go back to the story. I said, hey, when you first told me the story, you said something weird. You said you were, you looked up and you went, Chah! and then you hit the pole. What was, Chah! he goes, man, I was going to yell Jesus. He goes, but I didn't even get that in. Like the airbag intercepted my Jesus. He goes, I went, you know, and he said, that's all I got out, man. 
before my legs started bending in places the legs aren't supposed to be bent. <laughs> and then we started laughing, you know, I'm just trying to keep them company, so I'm being goofy, and I'm like, man, it's so crazy, all you got out was juh, you know, because like then like no one in heaven knows who you're even yelling out to, like, you know, Josiah's like, is it me, you know, and Jacob's like, my coat of many, what do you need, you know, and Jesus is like, usually it's me, maybe even Judas in hell is like, me, you know, whatever. And we're laughing, and you're laughing. You know why you're laughing? Because it's silly, right? It's absolutely juvenile and ridiculous to go, you had to say the whole thing. Let's say he got out the whole thing. Let's say he got out all of Jesus. He didn't have time past that to go, in just a second, Jesus, I'm going to hit this pole, and there'll be some bleeding. And when the paramedic comes and sees the blood oozing out of my body, I pray that he's reminded of the blood you shed upon Calvary for your renown. You know, like none of that, Right? Right? Why? Because how many of you believe this doctrinally? You believe this very simple truth. The Lord knows what you need before you even ask it. Actually, it's the very next verse if you want to read a little bit ahead. How many of you believe that you don't have to say Jesus for Jesus to know you want Jesus? You don't have to say, hey, this is what's going on with my marriage for Jesus to go, I didn't, no one, no one sent me an email on this one. How come no, Gabriel, Michael, why didn't you tell me? How many of you believe God knows before even you know what you you need, much less the second you know. How many of you believe that? But somehow, somehow we believe that, but we don't exercise that. We celebrate that, but we don't submit to it in the trenches of life. Instead of just coming raw and honest and just transparent and pure in motive and just saying, this is what's happening. Instead, we're just like, how much can we try to bring out our latest study from uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology or the latest thing we read that was a quotable on Instagram from a C.S. Lewis quote. Quit trying to impress God. Instead, just get with God. You see it? And God is giving us these three takeaways. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing revolutionary about any of that. But when I look at my prayer life, so many times I get myself hung up on all three of those. And maybe I'm not the only one in the room. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes here this morning, and we're not going to just talk about prayer, but I've asked someone just to come out and play the piano for just a second. And, and what we're going to do is, since we just talked about, man, purity and motive, and we talked about intimacy and just really getting in the weeds of, of the intricacies of what's going on, and we just talked about simplicity and honesty, raw honesty in conversation, we're going to exercise some of these things that God just gave us, all right? for the next few minutes. And so can I just get you wherever you are, whatever campus you're in, or whether even you're watching on live stream or whatever, just wherever you are right now, just um, find yourself in a posture of prayer right now. A prayer for you means you, you, you get out of your seat and you turn around and you get on one knee, do that. A prayer means for you that you um, just close your eyes and you bow your heads, do that. A prayer means for you that you put your arms like this palms up to, to come into a posture, do that. Whatever, whatever helps you right now, get into a posture of prayer. Just, just do that for just a second. And you're not doing it so that others will see you. You're not doing it so people will think you're more God. Just right now, come into a place. Some of you, you've been so busy, 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 busy that you've, you've come into this moment and this might be the first time in a long time that you've said, God, I, I just want to come into this conversation with you right now. And I'll shut up here in just a second. Uh, but the first step here 
is going to be before we go anywhere else, can we just begin with adoration? Like right now, before you come to God and ask him for anything new, just show gratitude for what he's already done in the past. Find places right now. Here's my challenge to you. Find three places where you right now can thank God for who he's been faithful to be in the past. Find three places right now and just vocalize that to the Lord. Fight the urge of being Jesus Juki and, and super wordy. Just be honest with him. Thank you for this. Maybe you're not healthy. Thank him that, hey, in the middle of all these health issues, it's really made me awaken to my need for you. Maybe you're healthy. Thank him for health. So I'll just be quiet now and just give you a second just to, just to fight the urge of going anywhere else. All right? Just, just take a few minutes and just thank him over and over again for different things. Be specific in what you're going to thank him for. walk into confession. Again, there's nothing you're going to say to him that he doesn't already know. He loves you just the way that you are. He loves you with all your inconsistencies. He loves you with all the scars. He loves you with uh, all the failures, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And so just with intimacy in mind here, just come to the Lord and say, God, I know this is what you've seen recently, or this is the thoughts in my anxious heart. These are the fears that have hijacked my joy. Just right now, would you be willing to come and just fully confess to God with intimacy? Things that right now you know break the heart of God and, and maybe even recently haven't been breaking the heart of the people of God. But God's waking you up right now. So just come into a place of confession now before the Lord. On the note of confession with your heads bowed, I do want to throw in this little caveat. Uh, in all of our campuses, whenever we dismiss from the huddle that we're in, uh, in the front, walk down in the very front area, these prayer partners that just uh, are ministers who are just available to pray with you. And some of you, the, the enemy's been lying to you. Do not find confession to be anywhere else that you would confide in somebody. Some of you, there's been so much shame or so much doubt and that you think that if you confess it with someone, they're gonna be an inquiring mind that wanna know and they're gonna out you. These are people that struggle themselves with so many different things and wanna walk with you in this next season. So if it's true confession, which means it's back with conviction and you want help, there are prayer partners as soon as we dismiss that are gonna be available that you can come to and say, can I just, can I just find a trusted counsel and prayer partner and, and pray with me. And, and they're going to maybe call you in a few days and check on you and see how you're doing. How's it going? You don't have to walk in this alone. 
Utilize that gift that God's given you right now in this body called Northridge. Then the last is supplication. Just come to him. And who do we have but him to go to for our daily bread, right? And I would say fight the urge right now to ask him for things you want and first put on the front burner things you need. And just go before him and just ask the Lord for, for things that you know God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills is, is, is capable and as a father who loves to lavish his children is wanting to give. And so biblically, I would say, pray for things that, that you know, hey, God, I want this and God wants it. If God has maybe a lost brother, friend, family member, co-worker in your mind for their salvation, you're going to get to pray for a miracle for that person, knowing that, that that's what God wants. God never puts someone on your heart that he doesn't first have on his heart. So it's one thing if you're asking for something that's unbiblical. It's another thing if you're asking for something that's biblical. It's another thing if you're asking for something that breaks the principles of God. But it's another thing if you're asking for something that you go, God, you put this on my heart and this is what I want. This is what I need. So just go before him right now. Just ask for, for, just for provision. One last thought here before we um, close in prayer collectively. If you're hearing all this and you're saying, David, um, I'm so grateful that we get to pray and all these, but I've never really prayed the first prayer, the main prayer, which is a prayer of salvation. I've never come to a place where I've said, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, be my savior. I want to ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my savior. If you've never received Jesus in your life, the people at Northridge have done this great thing. They, they have a very simple little first step resource for you this morning. All you need to do is to get out your phone, or you could go to the lobby and talk to someone in the information booth, but all you need to do is to get out your phone and, and to text the word Northridge, the name of this church, Northridge, to 313131. It's a simple thing. You just say 31, 31, 31. Three times 31, right? Uh, you, you, you basically take it, uh, the word Northridge, and you text it to 31, 31, 31, that number, and immediately you're connecting with someone who knows to be diligent about connecting with you to talk to you about what matters the most to us here at Northridge, which is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You become a Christ follower. That you find purpose, and, and then the next steps, all right, uh, can, can begin to take place in your life. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to, to come to your word. Thank you for the fact that you love us enough to tell us this truth. And um, we pray that, again, rather than guilt, there's conviction in it and that we find that freedom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Man. Hey, before you walk out of here, uh, we do have a few resources that we brought along this today that Pastor Brad wanted me to tell you guys about. Uh, I am from Iran. I'm a refugee, and we escaped from Iran when I was nine years old and came here. And I have a book called Jumping Through Fires, which is a quick, like, two-and-a-half-hour read that's a bit of a fish-out-of-water story. And uh, if you don't like my humor, you're going to hate this book, all right? So if you think I'm edgy, 
buckle up if you read my stuff. All right, so uh, it's, it's out there, and so that, that's available. And then there's a 40-day devotional that we wrote called A Call to Die, where you fast from something for 40 days, like um, television or social media, and you walk into a 40-day uh, crucified life devotional book. It's got places for you to journal. It's got prayer entries and stuff like that. And so it's a 40-day journey that you can do with someone else or alone, and, and these are available. I think they ran out the last service, as in the hard copy. But um, if you, they have cards and people were, if you, if you get one and you sign that little card that's got just your information, uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll sign them, all right, autograph them and send them to you uh, on Monday or Tuesday. So you'll get them within this week. All right. So if you want them, they'll be out in the lobby and they're available. I think there's a few more copies and then the rest, we'll get it to you this week. All right. But just uh, did want to make those resources available to you. I love your church. Love your pastor. So thankful for you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you and may he shine his face upon you. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. Prayer leaders are right here if you need to talk to one. Thanks. No sacrifice.